Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the sage himself, the Jewish sage, the one and only Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? I am great. How are you, Chris? I'm doing good. Whoa, I'm- you're, you are... You are... You're thinking hard. I'm thinking hard. (laughs) I'm trying to position yourself. I'm trying to position myself. Uh, I'll just forget about what I was thinking and and move on. Well, we can be honest with our listeners. We are getting ready because I'm going to be leaving for Israel. We're preempting the show here, okay? We we are actually doing two in a week. That's right. And so, uh, hold on a minute. Here we go. Welcome in, welcome in. Yes, I'm getting ready to go to Israel. We didn't want to leave you high and dry for a week, our listeners. Um, we hope some of you depend on the on the consistency of the Jew and Gentile podcast. And if you do, thank you very much for listening. But uh, I'm getting ready if to go. If you do, they're probably the only ones. <laughs> That's right. And uh, speaking of the only ones, we actually got an uh, email that came in, Steve, that I think we should lead with uh, for the show. I think it's great. Um, I just want to say this. Uh, um so uh, a shout out to Dave. A shout out to Dave. Uh, let me make, bring it up. Uh, let's see. Uh, nope, that's not it. Sorry, I got a couple questions that came in today. Ah, here we go. Dave uh, Galepsi. Uh, he writes in. He says, "I love this, Steve. I am a new listener to the Jew and Gentile podcast." Well, already we have something. Yes, we we did last week's podcast and talked about George being in heaven, and we're glad about that. But we lost. A guy here on the earth. That's right. We'd rather be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But the Lord called one home, and Jew and Gentile podcast attracted one. So so George has been replaced by Dave. Hello, Dave. We're so glad you listened, David. uh, uh, So listen, uh, David writes a great question. Um, He says, uh, I am a Gentile, and my personal studies of the scriptures have primarily been through the ESV translation. A fantastic translation an ESV translation of the scriptures, while using many others as references. Does FOI, Friends of Israel, have any recommendations of translations to use while studying the scriptures? Steve, I know you and I use two different versions. We do. And I'm sure that confuses people. I'm sure it does. Well, that's what we're out to do. Make it more difficult for your life. That's exactly right. You use the New King James Version. I do. And uh, I jump between sometimes the ESV, like what David uses, and then also the NIV occasionally as well. Um, uh, but, uh, friends of Israel, we use, uh, we've, we can use several different translations. Uh, new King James is one you use. The ESV is one that we use. And also the new, the, the new English translation, the NET, uh, translation as well. But I know Israel, my glory uses NKJV, the new, yeah, new King James. Uh, there's always been controversies about translations and that's the, and, and Dave in his question talked about which translation do you use? What reminds me of a story. Of, of two Kalishers. We have two Kalishers. One's in heaven, a Zvi Kalisher, and his son Menno Kalisher. At two different times when they were visiting America, uh, the pastors of two different churches went to them. Uh, it's almost the identical story and almost the identical answer. Went to them and said, you know, here at this church, we only allow one translation. Uh, which, which translation do you use? And uh, both of them, in one sense or another, I don't have the exact quote for each of them, but I know what they said, and that is, well, that's great that you use one translation. We use the Hebrew. We go right to the source. So the pastor said, thank you very much. (laughs) You can use that one. (laughs) That one's okay. (laughs) That's right. Well, that's the key. You know, you always get questions, which I think is a great question. What's the best? That was one of my first questions, you know? 
when I first read the text, it came out of my Masoretic text, which was from my synagogue, mm-hmm. my shul. And it was translated to the English. That's a, that's a standard Hebrew text that was translated. And so the first New Testament, Old Testament Bible I got was actually a Schofield Bible, but I compared it to my, the Old Testament text to my Masoretic text. And you know what, Chris? Even on the introduction of my Masoretic text, it says it's kind of after the King James Version of the Bible. Oh, really? It's almost identical. Uh, and even places where it isn't, they have an asterisk. Uh, like, for instance, in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, the, the Lord's going to give you a sign. Uh, 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 that's in uh, Isaiah chapter 7, going to give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and uh, have a son. Well, it puts the transliterated Hebrew and then drops it down where you could read virgin I see. Uh, or maiden. Uh, so the idea is it is kind of King James. But it isn't key. You know, uh, again, we it, this is this should be a, a podcast in and of itself. When I was at Dallas Seminary, I took a class on what was called um, it was the study of uh, the Greek, uh, you know, tr- uh, not translations, but the tr- the Greek copies of the of the scriptures. It was called textual criticism, and um, it looks at all the various Greek and some Hebrew scriptures as well. And, you know, it's really important to understand that those are the origins of the Bible, and the more and more that we're moving along in history here, archaeologists are uncovering more and more Greek texts and more and more Hebrew texts, like the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so what it does is it opens us up to trying to understand, okay, that you know, what what was originally written? We, we actually don't have the original copies. Don't have them. So, uh, you know, but as my professor said, and a brilliant man, Dr. Daniel Wallace, he said, you know, we have so many manuscripts, more manuscripts than any other ancient book in the, in the, in the, in the world, uh, that the original is, he goes, it's in there. It's just, you know, the nuancing of how we understand the translations. The key, the key is we can have confidence in the, translations that we have. We're not talking about uh, uh, scriptures that kind of are an overview. Yeah. They're, they're, not, they're not taking word for word. But uh, New American Standard, NIV, King James, um, uh, ASV, all those are taking the text and translating. They have numer- uh, m- numerous uh, scholars who debate every word. It takes a long time. Mm-hmm. And so the bottom line is we at Friends of Israel, and I hope you, Dave, as you're going through the ASV, that you could be— He's in the ESV. The ESV, sorry. You can be confident yep. that the text that you're reading—and that's the key. You're reading is, is the Bible, yeah. is, is the Word of God, the living Word of God. And that's important. Reading it is number one, and confidence that it's— properly translated. Dave, if I can give you a, a great scripture, uh, a translation to use, um, because it actually helps with the translation notes, if you're interested in learning more about that. It's it's called the one we can use here at Friends of Israel, too. It's called the New English Translation, and I think it has something like 70,000 notes throughout the scripture that they highlight to tell you why they made the decision to translate it that way from the Greek or from the Hebrew, given all the different manuscripts that are out there, all, all, all the various ways that maybe the more modern translations will use it, but it's a fascinating to get into the mind of the translator 
uh, because they, 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 they try to be detailed about letting you know this is the reason we went in this direction. You could take it or leave it. But anyway, that's called the New English Translation. Well, you know, Chris, when you go to uh, pastors, you go to a local church, which we hope our listeners are going to a local church, you often hear a good—if you hear a good, solid biblical message, they will allude to when they go through a verse and say, ah, oh, some of you it might read this way, and some of you it might read this way from the different versions. And then he'll say, but the point is— so he, mm-hmm. he in his study and now in communicating is trying to take a passage and make it a little larger for you and then hone in on what the author meant at the time. I think that's helpful. Well, David, if you're if you're still listening. Oh, we put him to sleep. <laughs> I hope uh, I hope you still listen to the Jew and Gentile. He's like, I'm more confused than I was when I asked the question. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, uh, Steve, we have two options. We can start with did you know or fast news. I, well, you're reaching for did you know. Emily Stone, go for it. Did you know? No, I just thought this was kind of funny. Um, you know, when I was in junior high and just about ready to date, my father sat me down and said, don't go out with a shiksa. Mm. Don't go out with a shiksa. We only have so many people. We mar- Jews must marry Jews. So it was forbidden. Uh, by the time I got to college, I had not uh, dated a shiksa, but then I did date a shiksa. Uh, and that was, that was fine. But uh, I, then I went back to, in college, Jewish gals. Uh, then I got saved. And uh, I wanted to, I took the principle of Judaism, which is not being unequally yoked, you want so it was Jewish person marrying a, a, a Jewish man, a Jewish woman marrying, and that was biblical. Well, for me, it now became: is the person I'm marrying a believer mm-hmm. that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and Lord? And so I did marry a shiksa. So did you know? Uh, I love, I love Jew. Just the way you are. That's the way she titles it. I love Jew just the way you are. A sampling of famous intermarriages. So here we are, Chris. Moshe, Moses, and the Cushite woman. Jew and not a Jew. That's right. Okay. King David, Jew, and daughter of King Gesher, not a Jew. (laughs) Esther, Jew, and Ahasuerus, king of Persia, not a Jew. Not a Jew. Sammy Davis Jr., and in parentheses, she has best Jew ever, and Swedish actress May Britt, not a Jew. Not a Jew. That is a huge jump. I like what she did there. <laughs> Moses, David, Esther, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. At least he was Sammy, right? How about this one? Ben Stiller, yes, Jew, Jew. and actress Christine Taylor, not a Jew. Not a Jew. Lauren Bacall, Jew, and Humphrey Bogart, not a Jew. Woody Allen, Jew, soon you soon ye Previn, not a Jew. John Stewart, Jew, and Tracy McShane, not a Jew. So there you have it. I got one more. Steve Herzig. That's Jew. Right. Alice Herzig. Not, not a, a Jew. Jew. <laughs> and great, great gal. That's right. <laughs> How many years you've been married? 45. 45 years. So you, of course she's a great guy. You've been around, or gal, you've been around, not guy, gal. Oh, Alice is going to hate me. <laughs> she's going to hate me. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You talk long enough, you're going to put your foot in. There you go. That's normal. That, yeah, is, that uh, is quite normal. Okay. So, all right, Steve, let's move to fast news, and then we're going to get to uh, Revelation chapter news, 13. And news. here we go. You ready, Steve? I am ready. All right. I'm doing Times of Israel. You are doing Jerusalem Post. And here we go. 
In Berlin, Netanyahu says proposed judicial override clause could go too far. The prime minister insists Israel is and will remain a liberal democracy as German chancellor urges him to consider Herzog, President Herzog's alternative reform proposals. Israelis protest judicial reform in the third national day of disruption. When Herzog's bid to save democracy crashed into Netanyahu's dash for absolute power, why did the president claim much was agreed on and the PM delayed his trip if the coalition was about to deride Herzog's plan and denounce him? Well, the Israeli police struggle to remove protesters from a lone highway. That means <laughs> Jewish people all over the place and they got to get them out. That's a major highway system that runs up the coast. And I'm going to be on that road soon. Probably well, stuck in traffic. Well, you're probably stuck in traffic <laughs> right. is right. After suspected Hezbollah bombing, Gallant warns those responsible will, re will regret it. Defense minister briefed on Monday morning. Blast carried out by man who infiltrated Israel from Lebanon says Israel will retaliate. Israelis take to the streets nationwide, so it's not only on a loan, the day of disruption in picture. So uh, they'll show it to you if you uh, want to yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, UAE, the United Arab Emirates, to donate $3 million to, the, to rehabilitate Palestinian town ravaged by settlers. No White House visit for Israel's Netanyahu as U.S. concern rises. So Netanyahu and Biden, not personal friends. If you're, it's your families that burned in the Holocaust, Lukud minister tells critics. Galit stands by Knesset's speech but says she regrets using language suggesting Sephardim should be less care less about the victims of Nazi genocide. Go ahead, Steve. You got one more in you. Ukrainian cluster mine artillery stalls Russian forces in Uledr, UK, Intel. All right, everybody. That's fast news. Okie dokie. Great job, Steve. Well, I think we're getting a little bit better at it. We're trying. We're, we're trying. We're getting there. Well, it looks like if, if you heard it, uh, all the news is about what's going on in Israel with the protests right now. Well, so. I have some news, Chris. Some news. Some Do breaking you? news. Uh, yes, we are recording uh, a week earlier for our podcast, but stay tuned because we're going to have a special Live from Israel, or not live so much, it'll be recorded, but uh, we have yet to pick a day, but while you're in Israel and I'm here at the home office, our international offices here at Friends of Israel, we I will be interviewing you. And you will be interviewing me. You're going to say, hey, so what's going on in the I office? Know, what's going on? And I'll say, what's going on in Israel? And we'll share <laughs> stuff together. I like and it. And then share it with our listeners. And we did that when you went to Israel last time with Jim and the and uh, and everybody. So it will be uh, it will be commonplace for us to do the interview. Maybe you could do it on your phone. You know, you could do it on your phone right in the bus and put the phone in front of Jim and say, Jim, how's it going? He'll never let me come well, back Well, you'll again. be on your own bus. You could say, hey, Steve, and all our listeners at Jew and Gentile Podcast, say hello. And you could <laughs> We're going to get some listeners out of the, out of the, that trip. Hey, listen, really quick, uh, the, Jew and Gentile pod, uh, the Jew and Gentile Podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. Now, Steve, we normally talk about our classes for FOI Equip, which we have some great ones. Uh, right now, Tom Simcox will be wrapping up his his class on Messianic prophecies, you can still go to. It's free. Um, and then uh, we're in April. 
Um, we're going to have Ty Perry. He's going to be teaching a class on Holocaust remembrance. And you can register for those classes. They're live. They're online. They're free by going to foiequip.org. But Steve, you know what we rarely talk about as a, a you know as a part of FOI Equip is not only our online teaching, but our actual ministry that people can get involved with. And I'm thinking about the encounter program that will be running this summer. There's going to be three opportunities for our listeners to encounter the Jewish community of the Northeast. Chris, I always get excited when we can uh, introduce uh, the Jewish people, Jewish culture, Jewish life mm. uh, by getting people out of their comfort zone mm -hmm. and going to New York City, to Philadelphia, to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, to in, to meet Jewish people, to interface with them. Uh, it's a, we have, people who have done it just tell us, this has been a game changer for me. You know, uh, one of the things that people do is that they go up to New York City. First, they go to the Hasidic section of Brooklyn, and you feel like you're entering Jerusalem. We have a rabbinic friend, a rabbi who's our friend and loves to talk to Christians. Oh, yeah. And so he, we go up to Brooklyn, and he gives us a Jewish walking tour. He shows us his town and and, uh, and introduces us to the Jewish way of life in Brooklyn. Uh, then they go. Uh, then Encounter goes over to Manhattan to visit a very old synagogue and even eat at Cat's Deli. It's getting expensive, Chris. <laughs> a sandwich. When I first went to Cat's my first time, I think it was $17. I think now it's 30 bucks. Yep. But I'm telling you, first of all, two people could eat one sandwich. 100%. And secondly, it's the best, for me, it's the best corned beef I've ever had. And it's still the same building, same deli experience, especially as delis are dying. This is a this is a mainstay in the deli world, Cat's Deli, very Jewish um, environment, which is fantastic. But then you you do uh, you go to a synagogue service in Philadelphia and then you do volunteer work in South Jersey. The honestly, the largest Jewish community outside of Israel is right here in the Northeast. We want to introduce you to it. Uh, it's four hundred and fifty dollars per person. That does not include flights or getting here, but that includes your hotel stays. Uh, several of your meals, uh, and you do your, like I said, a Hasidic walking tour. You do an Orthodox uh, Shabbat Sabbath service. You go to a Holocaust museum. We drive you around. We take we, you around. No, we take you around. We have, in fact, one of our equipped, our new equipped teachers over the summer. He'll be teaching church history. He's our driver. Yeah, <laughs> Tim. Right. When he's not, when he's not taking uh, uh, Egyptian hygro, uh, uh, hieroglyphics. Hi hieroglyphics. Mm -hmm. Uh, he is leading us around on Equip, driving in New York City. It's fantastic. So if you're interested, you want to enjoy an authentic experience that opens your eyes to the Jewish community in New York, Philadelphia, New Jersey, to engage with the Jewish people, to honor their past, and to learn about the hope that awaits them, I want you to please come uh, and do our encounter program. To learn more information about this, you want to go to foi.org forward slash encounter. Again, that's foi.org forward slash encounter. And we will see you here at the Friends of Israel headquarters, too, which is fantastic. All right, Steve, Revelation chapter 13, the beast is coming out of the sea, which is a great segue as to the one of the reasons why we, you know, the question of the Antichrist, is he Jewish? I mean, if he's the Antichrist, isn't he going to be the anti-opposite of the Jewish Messiah, so won't he be Jewish? Or is he a goy? Is he is he a Gentile? And I think this could actually help us answer some of the questions as I he's think coming he out of the it's sea. It's a legitimate question, and to be honest, there's... Uh, I think there's consensus. I know there's consensus amongst Friends of Israel staff, but there's other uh, godly, great people who are 
God-fearers and believe the Scripture who hold to different opinions. We believe he's a Gentile based on the first verse. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sea in the in book of Revelation uh, speaks about Gentiles. Uh, the land is speaking usually about Israel. The sea speaks about Gentiles. He comes out of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head blasphemous name. You know, uh, last week we said the sin of man, which started in Genesis, has now focused on the man of sin. And we're going to see during this period of time, I I think, Chris, it's a great—why don't you do it? Review what's happened starting in Revelation uh, chapter 6. Uh, something's happened. With a, there's people gone, people there. Uh, it's God's wrath. Why don't, real quick, because this is the culmination of uh, the midpoint of this period of time where we've had God's wrath, now we're going to have Satan's or the dragon's wrath. Why don't you talk about that? Well, Revelation chapter 6 starts with the breaking of the seals, and that is a major moment because that's as, like you said, God begins to pour his wrath out. That's why we're not, um, that's why we're pre-trib when it comes to how we Because who's breaking the seals? It's it's this it's Jesus himself breaking the seals. The lamb the, that's in the right. context. That's right. It's, Jesus breaking the seals. He has the authority to do it. And they open up a series of seals that then and then we had the four horses. That's going to cost me yeah, four. Well, we, you have you haven't na- named them yet. That's uh, the thing. The, the four horses of the apocalypse, which is your four kids. That's right. There you go. Now you now owe you the can money. charge me. Now you owe the money. Steve gave the money, and we went out and got ice cream. There you it. go. So and there they were go. very appreciative of of that. So anyway, you got to go back to the past podcast to listen to find out why that's a big deal. But anyway. Uh, After the four horsemen, it it continues to give way to not only, you know, a a cosmic wrath being poured out, but also events that are happening on Earth as well. Uh, And the idea that uh, it doesn't matter who you are, Uh, you could be wealthy, you could be powerful, you could be a politician, or you could be poor. Everybody is running from the wrath of the Lamb. And that's something that uh, John highlights, the wrath of the Lamb that's being poured out. Uh, we talked about the 144,000 that were set aside. So in the midst of this wrath, we're seeing how God set aside Jewish believers. And how do we know they're Jewish, Chris? Well, because they come from the tribes of Israel. And they're listed. They're listed. That's, uh, that, so some people interpret the 144,000 are a lot of church believers. That's what they'll say. Uh, well, I, I understand you might think that, but why— what do you do? You know what tribe you're from? I, no, nope, I don't. And I know because you're I'm not, not from, from a tribe. Any of the tribes. That's right. And I'm Jewish. I don't know what tribe I am. So the, a fair question would be: Wait a minute. Temple's destroyed. How do we know? How do we know? How do Jewish people know what tribe they're from? If they're they're listing the tribes, my answer to them is always the same: Who's the one selecting? It's God. Yeah. It's God who's calling them. So He's going to determine. Uh, he'll know which tribe they descend from and who they are. So they're Jewish, and they're proclaiming what during this the, off, the off gospel. The gospel, and th- what John does is uh, absolutely biblical from the Old Testament. It's that I actually think the one hundred forty-four thousand Steve is fulfilling the purpose that God gave Israel from the beginning of time, or from the beginning of their call in Exodus chapter nineteen, when He said to them, "You will be a kingdom of priests, a special possession." 
um, if you obey my commandments and follow me. Well, these are Jewish believers that are going around sharing the good news of the King of Israel, Jesus, the Messiah, and forgiveness that can be found in him and salvation, and they're fulfilling their role as a kingdom of priests. And then right after it talks about the 144,000, then John looks out and sees a multitude of nations and tribes and tongues that are believing because of the ministry that they have, which goes back even to Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man receives all authority and power and dominion that God is using the 144,000 to minister to the world. So you have that picture of God choosing Israel, and God even says in, in Exodus 19, I'm choosing you even though the whole world is mine. And that's the point, as I'm choosing you to bring the message of hope to the world. 100%. Verse 2 says, Now the beast which I saw was uh, like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, throne, and great authority. And I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Chris, one of the things we have as the beast described is that he's going to deify Satan. Mm-hmm. This this is a, a the dragon, which we know is Satan, chooses this man who's going to be Mr. Wonderful to the world and is going to, uh, as the text talks about, uh, well, actually in verse 2, Chris, what book, you know, when I was in Bible college, I took two books at the same time. Uh, the actual course. It was called, we abbreviated, Dan Rev. Mm-hmm. Dan Rev. Dan Rev. And the reason we did is as you're reading either one, if you're in the Older Testament and you want to find out some of the things that even Daniel didn't know about that was sealed up to him, you go to the book of Revelation where it's unsealed. Mm-hmm. Or if you're in the book of Revelation and you hadn't ever read Daniel, then some of the descriptions here, especially as it relates to animals, I, that goes back to the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Mm-hmm. And so the course I took was Dan Rev because it helps us here as you have this description. Well, and also because Daniel and and what Daniel wrote and what John wrote in Revelation carry the same theme. And the theme is that the kingdoms of the world are falling away, they're passing away, and God is raising up his kingdom. Now, see, Daniel probably saw that coming sooner than than he thought. But here in the book of Revelation, we see, again, John is saying the kingdoms of this world, uh, um, uh, now that we're in, because we're actually in the 70th week of Daniel, that the tribulation period, the kingdom of this world is going to pass away, and people are going to cling to this kingdom as long as they possibly can, like a ship that's sinking. And uh, But the kingdom that God is bringing will f- will come down in, in, in its fullness— just as Daniel had prophesied, and, it, it, and and now we're seeing in the book of Revelation, so the kingdoms of the earth are passing away, and even Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, and you know what? Oftentimes, I think people read that, and they go, oh, it's a completely spiritual kingdom, because it's not of this world. Well, no, it means my kingdom is not of this world. It's not this—whatever kingdom you see right now is not God's kingdom. God's kingdom will come down, and the Son of Man, as he's coming on the clouds of heaven— will bring it. And so, again, I think we have to be careful how we interpret the kingdom. It can't be spiritualized to the point where it's a distant, uh, you know, heaven is far, far away. No, what we're going to actually see is in the book of Revelation, God is going to remove the kingdoms of the earth and establish his kingdom on earth later on as we go through Revelation. Well, you know, Chris, 
I, I t often tell people I was a Messianic Jew before I became a believer. Yeah, that'll hurt your head. Uh, that's right. Uh, Judaism, biblical Judaism, Orthodox Judaism, uh, Hasidic Judaism is looking for a king, king messiah. They know that this earth is not the way it's supposed to be. I knew that. They're looking for a person to come to bring righteousness, holiness, mm -hmm. because there isn't any of that around. Mm -hmm. And so when I became a believer, I just realized, oh, I always looked for the Messiah, Messianic. I just didn't know that he came. The identity of the Messiah, who he is, is critical to biblical Judaism. Now, you can meet a Jewish person, and there are many of them, and you say, oh, do you, be you, you believe the Jewish scriptures? No, yep. I don't. Uh, Emily uh, Stone, you were looking up in the index, yeah, Messiah, Bupkis. Yeah, yeah Bupkis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they, in fact, uh, one of the things we read and did you know is that Reformed Judaism has rewritten some of the liturgy to take out areas that involve miracles, mm -hmm. that involve a future kingdom. A resurrection. A resurrection. Which is very Jewish. I mean, even leaving Jesus out of it. Resurrection is really important in biblical and traditional Judaism. But the more modern we become, uh, and that was attributed back in the late 1800s, that's the birth of Reform Judaism, uh, questioning the texts. Mm -hmm. You know, we go back to Dave and translations, and there's uh, people, Jewish people, higher criticism say, no, this author didn't really write that. It was a different author, and they, they change everything. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's important. So that's good. And so we're talking about this beast who comes out of the sea. And Steve, I mean, we're not even out of the first two or three verses here, but I want to just highlight this. It had 10 horns and seven heads and 10 crowns on its horns uh, um, and on each uh, head, a blasphemous name. You know, again, that goes back to the book of Daniel, as you were talking about, and these 10 kingdoms that will come and be unified under the Antichrist. We're talking about a global reign. You know, right now I know that we function in the realm of democracies and everybody has, you know, and socialism and we all are wondering, you know, what's the best system, you know, uh, and, and we all have different countries, different ways of governing, all of these. It's, these are big questions that we're dealing with now. Well, by the time we get to this in the book of Revelation, the world has come to a conclusion that we should unify ourselves under one individual, and that will be the Antichrist. Um, and so, Again, this is a global rule, and somehow even the the the, the nations of the world re uh, redivide the lines on how they relate to the Antichrist, his ten rulers, ten kingdoms globally that unite under him, and so that is something that goes back to the book of of, of Daniel. But I want to I want to highlight something that only again it's an imitation. Because Satan is just imitating here. Later on, it says this in verse 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed, and the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. Isn't that amazing? Here is basically an imitation of what happened to Jesus. Jesus had a mortal wound. He died and resurrected three days later, and we worship him for being the resurrected king um, and validating all of his miracles and all the things he did. Now, here's a guy who has a fatal wound, 
but survives, it seems like. And the whole world believes in him, and are, they marvel at what he does. And later on, the whole even brings signs and wonders, like bringing fire down from heaven and things like that to win the hearts of the of the world to his his uh, plan. Well, last week you talked about the false trinity. Uh, we talked about that, and and the false tr- we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons in the Godhead. Where here you have the dragon. You have the beast, and you're going to have what we call the false prophet, mm-hmm. who will act like the spirit. Give it the spirit of God is uh, always gives uh, glory to the Son and the Father, and so this high this uh, third person, this false prophet, will always give. He'll do miracles and attribute it to the beast, who is empowered by the dragon. So you have a false or counterfeit system the way uh, as far as Christianity is concerned. And so uh, here we have a global rule and um, things are moving into the direction of, of, of an imitation of what God had Well, here's the question, Chris. I just thought of this. Uh-oh. Look, I, I know we're in trouble. <laughs> uh, th- <laughs> He's thinking, everybody. <laughs> well, think about the way our culture has become now and what people believe. I mean, passionately. Mm-hmm. I think of uh, the culture and what's going on in schools. I think of uh, what's going on in politics. Don't you think that people are, through pressure of just the culture and how far away it's removed from biblical principles, that indeed, as hard as it is to believe that the world will wonder at this person and and follow him, in the midst of all this other stuff going on, they're going to believe their hope in a in a cratering, crashing world is going to be through this person. Yeah, it's and, and we're made fun of now because we believe in the blessed hope. He's he died, rose again. We don't see him, but we believe him. They're going to the human side. We see him. We see what he did, and we're all in. The you know, world I, will be all in on him. I found a um. A tweet that I was going through Twitter the other day, and uh, Michael Bird is a is a um, theological scholar, and um, I guess there's this uh, Twitter feed that highlights people who believe in Zeus, and oh, yeah, interesting. And so they had a picture of Zeus next to a picture of Jesus, and they said this is why you should believe in. Z-. And, and Michael Bird is highlighting this, and it's so he copies it to show everybody. And he says, the people who believe in Zeus said, this is why you should believe in Zeus and not Jesus, because Zeus is powerful and mighty and, and great and, um, and you know all, never died, all these things. And then it has a picture of Jesus suffering on the cross, and he says, Christ, they say Christianity is associated with humility and, and, and emptying yourself and, and a weakness and all of these things that, you know, that are... True. True of the scriptures. And it's, it's again, you see that here. Uh, you know, I'm not calling Zeus the Antichrist, but I am saying the Antichrist is using his power and influence and dominion and rule and, and force. And remember, force. Fa- fo- force is false religion. Faith is true religion. That's right. And it, so it's funny because Michael Bird turns around what he said. He goes, he's preaching the gospel. You know, this guy is it highlighted perfectly why in our weaknesses, God is made strong, and that Jesus didn't come, you know, as a lion the first time. He came as a lamb, and in his kindness and patience, leading people to repentance. And all of these amazing pictures, but what do I see here? I see the same thing. 
Satan is forcing people to believe. And like you said last time on the podcast as well, here, the opposite of what we have is faith. Faith in in the king who died and resurrected, that in his weakness, God exalted him. Christianity is counterintuitive to humanism. Yeah, 100%. It's, 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 it's the, and it's hard for us in our natural state, apart from God's grace, to be willing to humble ourselves. But you know what? Isn't it interesting that Paul says every knee will bow? I, I remember hearing that for the first time in a, was in a church, and he said, so you could bow the knee. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's going to happen, everyone. So the question is, will you do it willingly or will you be forced? Mm-hmm. There will be a time that everyone, believer and unbeliever, will bow the knee. The, for us as belie- any believer, for sure, the one thing that will happen when you see him face-to-face just remember, we used to, I, I talked about boom, they're down every time they were in the presence of God, boom, boom, they're down that's right. every single time. It, I think, unbelievers won't want to bow the knee, they won't want to, and they'll be forced. Stubborn, stubbornness, and God will break the stubbornness, He will. But yep. those of us that believe will rejoice, will will gladly bow before his presence. Boom, we'll be down. Yep. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> exactly right. Well, Steve, I think that we've done a good job setting ourselves up for the remainder of uh, Revelation chapter 13. As we'll go a little faster next time. Yeah, Chris. you know, but it's good for people to see that... Uh, Sometimes you have to park in a place and talk a little bit. And it, this is such a... Because the Antichrist has been something that was talked about by the prophet Daniel. Jesus reiterated the coming of the Antichrist. Paul reiterated the coming of the Antichrist, and now John is giving us more detail about the Antichrist. Of course, it all wraps back to Daniel as well, but that there would be somebody that would be the opposite of who Christ is. And it's important to highlight this because we won't be here for the events, but it's important to know um, the events that will take place. Well, obviously God thinks so, but we always say this at any of our conferences. We've said it in our equipped courses. Uh, When we talk about we don't look for the Antichrist, that is, Christians, we're not we're, we're not looking for him. We should be aware of him, what the scriptures teach it, but we're looking, waiting for, yearning for the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. We're looking for Jesus the Messiah, not the Antichrist. That is a great—I mean, you know, I know I've heard that before, but now that it's sinking in, you know, because sometimes as Christians, I, you know, who do you think the Antichrist is? Who, I don't know. As you would say, Zygazant, live and be well, do your thing. <laughs> but uh, your focus should be on the coming of the Lord, the, the the true Christ, the true Messiah. There will be believers in a time period who will have to have this information and read it, and it will apply directly to them uh, during that seven years' time. And, and they'll be using that as ammunition to share to people who don't believe to not take that uh, mark, that mark of the beast— to refuse it, because even if in your pain and agony, once you take it, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And it talked about that. We talked about that last week because in chapter 12, it talks about the fact that there are believers that were willing to give up their lives for the gospel. They were martyrs, and that's because they wouldn't end up taking the the mark of the beast. But all that to say, Steve, why don't we go ahead and move on into the news? You found this. You sent this to me this morning at. I was up at four. 15, and I got a text from you at 3.59 a.m. That's right, people. Steve and I text at 3 o'clock in the morning. 
Well, <laughs> it was one of those nights where I don't know. Do you ever you ever wake up in the middle of the night and you know I just knew I wasn't going back to sleep. I knew it was over. I was I was up and there was no way. And I rather than disturb my wife, I just get up and go into the living room. And so I scroll through news and what do I see? UN teachers call to murder Jews reveals a new report. This is from UN Watch uh UNRWA. Schools funded by US and EU indoctrinate Palestinian children to anti-Semitism, hate, and violence. Mm. Chris, this is not good. Well, you know what? Uh actually, if we go back to the Trump administration, if you remember, Trump pooled funding from the Palestinians in large part to the fact that UNRWA was was we know that their curriculum the UN was teaching Palestinian kids ultimately um, fake news, if you will, about Israel um, and fake news about the Jewish people, which could lead to violence. Um, in fact, we had Bassem Eid on for the um, for the uh, uh, a FOI equip class. And I met Bassem Eid in Washington, D.C. because he was there as a Palestinian man lobbying in Congress saying, you've got to stop giving money to UNRWA. Because their curriculum is teaching Palestinians to hate Jewish people. Well, now guess what? It's still happening. And uh, and so there's well, a— Well, listen to this, Chris. UNRWA Lebanon teacher Riyad Nimer venerated Alaska Martyrs Brigade's commander Ibrahim Nabluski as a martyr and the noblest of souls. Nabluski's cell had been responsible for several attacks on Israeli soldiers and civilians in the West Bank— including an attack on a Jewish holy site, Joseph's Tomb, in Nablus. UNRWA teacher Nimer's post also encouraged others to follow his path by posting the video of his funeral procession, which called for peace unto martyrs who have commanded us to follow the path, path they had taken. In other words, a teacher teaching students to be a martyr, to blow yourself up, to die for your—we talk about martyrs. Mm -hmm. We talk about martyrs in Christianity who die because of their stand in Christ. They're not killing people. They end up being killed. Mm -hmm. Martyrs here that are encouraged uh, here in this, talking about the UNRWA supporting those who are saying, we need to kill ourselves and take others with me uh, to be martyrs for for Islam. Uh, it says this, um, UN Watch and Impact are calling on the agency's major funders to ensure that taxpayer funds to UNRWA, which is the United Nations um, uh, Refugee Work Association or something, something of that nature, are not used to support teachers, schools, and school districts that teach anti-Semitism and hate and to hold the agency accountable per its commitments. With a budget of $1.6 billion, nearly 60% of which goes to education and a staff of 30,000, the UN agency might be the most heavily funded educational undertaking in the history of the international aid. You know, it's a great conversation, too. This is probably another conversation, but, you know, UNRWA and, and, uh, and the Refugee Relief Act in the UN toward the Palestinians is an ongoing thing that goes back to 1948. Um, and uh, most of the time, refugee committees are formed and then they disband because the refugees become citizens. Well, the problem is, is that Palestinians, they left and then they came back in and they made them refugees in the land in perpetuity. So in instead of it just being, okay, let's end this thing, 
and let them take care of themselves and govern themselves. What ends up happening is that the Palestinians are in like their third generation of being a refugee. And it's almost as if it's, uh, you know, all these other refugee committees have closed down. They move on. This has kept going and continues to receive funding. And so there's always been calls to to defund the it's this a refugee. business now. It's a business. Chris. And that happens 1. in a lot, of billion. Po- a lot of political things that don't people don't want to solve them because they'll take their jobs away. And this is one of them. That's one of them. All right. Steve, the, the next news that I wanted to to bring up um has to do with actually something you had mentioned earlier in this. Uh, which is that I found on the Jerusalem Post is Israeli right wing leaders call for unity at Joseph's tomb during the visit. Armed clashes broke out between Israeli forces and Palestinians in the area, with three Palestinians injured amid the clash. But l- here, listen to this: Culture and Sports Minister Mickey Zohar and Heritage Minister Amichai Eliyahu called for unity. We're among- great with names. Oh, Chris. we're killing Both it right are, now. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> called for unity among the people of Israel during a visit to Joseph's tomb in Nabulus on Wednesday night. So here's what happens. Israel's in an uproar right now. They're divided over this judicial system. So, so what do these leaders... Go to Nablus. They go to Nablus. They go to a Palestinian territory to go to Joseph's tomb, and they're trying to say this. Hey, look, Joseph's brothers did a horrible thing to Joseph, but Joseph was able to turn around and say what you meant for evil, God meant for good, and he unified with them. And so he's saying that they're arguing to the Israeli people while they're in the Palestinian territory. Let's all get together and let's unify. Well, you know what I would do if I was on one, uh, uh, you're on one of the sides here and they're going to use Joseph. Do you remember what, I'm not sure that's a good illustration because do you remember what Joseph did? Joseph was dressed as an Egyptian. He was in bed bedded in the culture 100 percent. so they didn't recognize him so it, in in a y- yiddish <laughs> slang he did a nick <laughs> is did, that a yiddish word i don't know if it's yiddish what it's a nick i want to get you what does he do he keeps it a secret he makes them go to his father oh yeah back and back. forth he takes one of the sons hostage that's right what puts if, a little yeah, you stole yes, something from me i think it's fair enough to say jo- joseph ultimately brought everybody together but if you're on one of the sides, say, okay, we could follow Joseph's principle. I want to nick you just a little bit before we do it. And what the, do you think? And the Palestinians, too, because that's where we're going. I don't know. What do you think, Chris? I, you know, I don't know if they're thinking that deep about it like we are, but I see what you're saying. Joseph Joseph didn't just say, oh, no, no hard feelings yeah. at all. That's really me. No, he did. He made them jump through hoops. He made them perspire. Oh, I yeah, mean, big time. The, Jacob was concerned. I'm not going to have my son. What are you crazy? Yeah. They're not going to take my youngest son. They're going to kill him. He made them jump through all kinds of hoops. Here was the quote. We stand at Yosef's grave and draw strength from the eternal roots of the Jewish people, says Dagan during the visit. Yosef chose unity with his brothers despite everything, and we should learn from Yosef the righteous. There are ideological differences, but let's not raise a hand against his brother. By the, you know, Chris, we're for unity. I you know, yeah. obviously we're for we're just unity. Joking. We're I joking. just thought of <laughs> Joseph he's <laughs> No, he got him. Did they really? It's just the whole, the irony to me is. And then they're in They're You've got Palestinians that are frustrated and angry with them. You've got the liberals who are frustrated and angry. And they're saying, hey, let's all get together and unify, okay? <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Uh, all right, so here we go. 
It's the Yiddish word of the day. Oh, the Yiddish. You want me to do it? I want you to. I I want you to do it because I think you were raised with this word. I think it's, you emanate well, this word. I gavalt. <laughs> I gavalt. Oh, did we hear? I, I used to hear. Oh, my father said. Oh, gavalt. My mother said. Oh, gavalt. We said. Oh, gavalt. Uh, <laughs> it literally. It it as you said it 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 means. Oh my violence, mm -hmm. uh, which is for us it was. Oh my goodness, this is. You see something horrible? You go, Oigavalt. That's yeah. horrible. Yeah, that's and that's why I I chose the word Oigavalt because here is the Antichrist. Oigavalt. Exactly, <laughs> and that's the feeling you get when you know that he's coming with force, violence. We know he comes with violence as well, and that's what Oigavalt kind of roots back to that word of violence but that to get shock and and awe by what he's doing so oi gavalt gavalt that's a great one <laughs> okay everybody well that's our yiddish word of the day hey listen thanks so much for being with us on the jew and gentile podcast don't forget i got two things for you right now are you ready the first one is this come to the friends of israel headquarters with our encounter group 450 dollars uh you can find out the dates by going to foi.org forward slash encounter, and you can experience the Jewish community right here in the Northeast. A fantastic experience. Again, foi.org forward slash encounter. Then I want you to go to foiequip.org and sign up. Sign up for the Messianic uh, Prophecies class. Sign up for our Holocaust Remembrance class and all the classes that we have coming up this summer. We want to see you there. Hey, have a great week. Bye-bye. Have fun in Israel, Chris. La Heathrow.